Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. It, it means to change your mind, to repent, to change your mind, to change your direction. It says repent. Therefore, repent. Change your mind. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You can be seated. You see, he's saying, I, I see you. I, I love you. But if you don't remember and you don't repent, you're going to lose your place. And so today, God's brought a word for us on the importance of the place. Remember, we've been in a series about God's perfect purpose for your life. We started that out, this is the last of five, we started that out with the plan, that God never starts anything without the end in mind. He never begins a plan without the finish already in mind. And Then we looked at His provision. Remember, it was a play on the word provision, that God has a vision for your life. He wants you to have a vision, also have the same vision for your life. And if you're for God's vision, you're pro the vision, then often when we go praying for provision, as in God, give me the things I need, he opens our eyes and gives us new perspective and says, look, I've already provided you what you need around you. Those things that you thought you needed, I need that job, I need that house, I need this career. All of a sudden, when you have God's perspective, you begin to realize some of those needs aren't needs any longer. And then we looked at the period, that God is the author and finisher of our faith. He puts the period at the end of our sentence, that, that He is the one that when you live for Him, He helps you to finish the race and then last week we looked at people that God never tells a story. He never starts a plan that doesn't involve His creation, His people. That He loves us. And today, the place, that there's always a place involved. From, from the Garden of Eden to, to uh, the, the Israelites, to the Jewish people return to Israel, to the new heaven and new earth, that there's always a place. But but there's also more to that about the place. It's not just a physical location, but what's behind it. Worship team, thank you. Father, I just pray that you anoint your word today, that you anoint the words. Lord, as we get into your word, that God, you'll prepare our hearts. That Lord, the things that you've prepared in this message, God, have gone long before uh, any of us decided to come here today. For that matter, before New Song was a church. God, you've ordained your words long before the beginning of time. And so today we pray that we receive it, that those things that may be difficult for us, that we'll receive it, Lord. We'll receive it because it's from you. Lord, I pray that I get out of the way and any lack of ability I have, God, would not hinder your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your passion in the right place because we may be talking about a place, but I want to shift gears and talk about passion. When I was... Uh, Nathan, if you want to put up that first picture, I think I labeled number one. When I was a kid uh, in the 80s, my dad being a pastor, there was a, a little more popular in weddings to have candelabras and actually maybe even have candle lighters. Anybody ever seen a wedding? You had the candle lighters like this. And maybe even more in the liturgical churches, you see it a little more. But, but uh, So everybody that's familiar with this, there's a wick that runs up that thing, and there's a little thing that you slide down there, and, and it gets lit, and you can go light the candles because... The candelabras are high, and most time they're having kids do this, right? 
real smart in church, right? Give the kids a long, long lighter, right? Where they can reach really far with some fire. But that's, that was popular. And so then you see the other end. That's not a bell that you ring. That's, that's the snuffer. That's the other end. Um, that's the other end of that. And, and when I was a kid, I'd see that. And man, I tell you, if you're a kid in church during that time and a wedding, you didn't care about being the ring bearer. Who cares about that? That's a lot of pressure and not fun. You didn't care about being the one that handed out programs. You wanted to be the guy with a fire. You wanted to be the guy who got to light the candles, right? And, and I remember, um, I also remember having a, a passion for fire. A lot of little boys have a passion for fire. Boy, if I could serve the Lord and use fire, it was all there, right? And I had a passion for that. But I remember one of the first times I preached when my dad was still uh, pastoring in Rogers and and uh, I think it was one of my first years of college. I came back, and, and you got to keep in mind, my dad's church had a lot more folks in their uh, golden years, if you'll say that, um, than we may have here at New Song. But, but uh, I remember preaching a sermon called Pew, Pew as in the Pew, CEO, as in the chief executive officer of that pew. You know, if you've ever been to one of the old churches, you come up and there's a pillow there, a crocheted pillow. And it has somebody's name on it. Do you move that pillow? Do you sit in that chair? No. And, and I remember that I was trying to confront. Uh, I was trying to confront those older folks on you need to get out of that pew and do something for Jesus instead of just worrying about keeping track of who's in your pew or who's sitting in your seat. And I was all fired up. And I was. I don't know. I'm. I don't know if it's passion. But you know, I didn't have any experience living in an 80-year-old body. But I was going to tell them to quit sitting around. Right. When I, uh, when, when we met, uh, Jennifer and I, when we met in school, uh, we, well, we met after school, but in college, we didn't own much when we first got married, but we had passion. I mean, um, I remember when this church started, we didn't have much, but we had passion. We met in Gamble Elementary School, and that uh, 16-foot and trailer, enclosed trailer that you've seen folks borrowing or we've used, um, that's where all the belongings to New Song went in that 16-foot enclosed trailer. And it had to be packed just right. We had a young man named Theo Smith that was here, and we called him the pack master because we could go to pack our stuff and end up with the trailer full and stuff still sitting out there. But Theo could get in there, and he could find every nook and cranny and, and get everything packed just right. It didn't shift. It didn't move. There was no air left in that trailer when Theo got done. And we didn't have much. We didn't even have a building of our own. We had to get up on Saturday mornings, go out. If it was cold and you're grabbing this aluminum pipes, you better have gloves on. But we went every Saturday morning to set up our church in the school, and then we had to take it back down on Sundays. I remember Pastor Jim that started this church. He'd get a little frustrated with me because he wanted me to be inside the church welcoming people, and I was so excited, so passionate about what God was doing at New Song that I would put on... Uh, heavy gear when it was freezing. I remember 20 degrees one day, uh, Sunday, and I put on all this gear, and I could barely see out. You could see my eyes. I was all wrapped up, and I was standing out by the road on Gamble waving at people because I wanted them to be welcome at New Song. I was so passionate about what God was doing at New Song that I didn't want to be inside. I wanted to catch them before they even saw the, tr- uh, saw the school. I wanted to make sure they knew they are welcome. Welcome. Now, I remember everyone taking turns having events at their homes because we didn't have a permanent place. I remember eating watermelon over at some people's house, different Martins than, than what goes here now, but 
uh, the Martins, and they'd have us over at their house, and we'd had watermelon on the 4th of July. And I remember being over at uh, Mark and Mary Kendall's house. These names you won't ring a bell with probably everyone in here, but, but uh, you know, we, we remember being in each other's homes because we didn't have the school during the week. And I remember having to take those hallways in the school and put baby gates up, and we'd have to put the kids in a hallway for classroom because we couldn't afford to rent classrooms. We could just rent the auditorium. So we kind of we fudged it a little bit, and we put baby gates up and made hallways or classrooms. And I remember, I remember that um, we would get so excited when just one or two people would come down to the altar because that meant God was moving and working through this church plant called New Song. I remember not liking the name New Song. When Pastor Jim told me I was going to name the church, he says, that sounds wimpy. It needs to be, you know, something like the Iron Cross, Assembly of God Church or something, you know. Woo, tough. Something something really said, we're out, we're warriors for God. And that was my mentality. And Pastor Jim was more about, let's, let's teach people to worship God. And I started thinking about this sermon that I was supposed to preach to you today to fit in the series about the place where we're headed. And I started thinking about what God wants to remind us, you know, about where we belong and where he's placed us for his purpose. But it started making me think about myself and led me down a path thinking about the passion I had for this work of God we call New Song. And how many know that you can push through a lot when you have passion? You can push through a lot of adversity when you have passion. Passion matters. And, and, and it led me to Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2, there's a challenge to you in your passion. And I think every once in a while, it's good for us to challenge our passion in, in contrast, in comparison to our passion in the past. Because how many knows when you get older, it's harder to hang on to your passion. So do you still have passion? Jen, you remember the house we we started out in. It was just a little over three years ago. We were still in the house. A little 1,040-square-foot house, 37-year-old Cooper home, Bella Vista. If you took off in a sprint in the living room, before you knew it, you ran into the back yourself because there wasn't much space to go. Um, and, it, and it had a carport. It didn't have a garage. And I worked on our vehicles out there in the cold and the heat or whatever. And you remember that place, the snakes in the attic? At night, we could hear snakes slithering across the top of the drywall uh, that were living in the attic because there was... Plenty of holes for them to get in that house. The snake, that the six-foot-something-long snake that we realized was the one that came out of the attic when we counted all the boards across the back deck as he was kind of going down for some food to come back. And uh, then Jen one day went screaming because she went to get in the van. On her side of the van, there's this little Japanese maple tree that was just the height of the side door of the van. And there's a little birdhouse near that tree on a fence. And that big old snake had been curled up in there waiting for a bird. And Jen didn't see, her, see him until she was about to get in the van, and she went dancing back in the house. <laughs> I, remember, um, I remember the strange door we found in the backyard on the ground. It was just a door to the ground. You turned it, it had a name on it. You turned this door and opened it, and there's just wood chips and then dirt. And so we started making our assumptions. That must have been where a family member was buried. We don't know. They put a door on the grave or something, and the wood chips, and then later when we started thinking about it, I thought it was probably their little pet bed for a pet, and they just put the door there to keep the wood chips dry. I remember Jen had to do dishes for 10 years by hand because we didn't have a dishwasher until 
we were, had the house on the market to sell it after 10 years, and then we decided somebody might buy it if we put a dishwasher in it, and Jen got about, oh, a month maybe of using a dishwasher. I remember the cookies she baked in those first years that made me really fat. I think she wanted to keep me, you know, unavailable to other people or unattractive, and so she fattened me up pretty quick, and then we go on diets together. I remember people giving us a hard time because we worked at Walmart corporate office together, and we kept following each other to different uh, areas, and we'd always work in the same building. We'd take every break together. We'd take every lunch together. We'd go home, do activities together. We were inseparable all the time. So several years of our marriage, and people like, Kent, don't you guys get tired of each other? No, we're having fun. We're best friends. So I remember those days. We didn't have much, but we had passion. We didn't have a lot of space, but we had passion. Which brings me to Revelation chapter 2. He said, when you had something, you were, when you were small, but you lost it now when you're significant. And it's a temptation. When you don't have much, you learn to have passion about the few things that you have, but then when you given more you tend to lose that passion Ephesus was not an imaginary place Ephesus is in the book of Revelation the angel of the Lord is is issuing seven letters to seven churches they're real churches real people real histories with real issues and it's been 43 years since Paul started this church and he's traveling inland with a group of compadres and they're going in to to do ministry and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he spends a couple of years with these people at Ephesus. And there were these 12 guys uh, who were disciples of John the Baptist. And they were there. And, and so Paul encounters them. And he comes up and says, hey, when did you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, what are you talking about, this baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't know what you're talking about. We have the baptism of John, referring to water baptism. And... Uh, So he says, I better backtrack here. These guys aren't aren't aware of the latest and greatest thing that God has done, you know, in the church. And and so after all this time, and so um, these guys, they don't have any education about this new work of the Holy Spirit, but but they have passion. And so Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. They didn't have a lot of theological knowledge. Nobody sat down and gave them a 12-point sermon on what what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and here's how you get it and all this. They had passion for the things of God and God gave them a gift. But that wasn't about just the speaking in tongues because they began to speak about Jesus Christ in the synagogues and going from here to there. It changed them from sitting around, pining away about a past work in their life that God did that they've done nothing with, apparently, from what we read in Scripture, to now they're set on fire, set ablaze, and they're out spreading the gospel. So, we see they didn't, you know, they start spreading this word, and, and uh, they're, they're very uh, passionate. And so, uh, the, star, the star, crowd started coming around, and they didn't like it because uh, they weren't really all for, in the synagogues, this gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's many of them that still believe this is heresy to them. That, you know, they were part of the issue that killed Jesus for him bringing the, the truth of him and the fulfillment of the word. And, you know, that's what happens a lot of times when you get around apathetic people and you're passionate. When you get around apathetic people and you're passionate, it tends to squash your passion. I've told this story several times, but I remember working so hard before I went in the Navy because I had my mindset on, on just really going after the hardest thing I could. And, 
And so I stopped working, and I worked out for like eight hours a day for three months. And I went in the Navy just lean and mean and ready to go. And I got Navy boot camp. And in my mind, all these videos and movies about military boot camp is going to be tough, right? You know, they're going to make you hard and tough. And I got Navy boot camp, and their obstacle course was less challenging than the Walmart team building exercises I went on, you know? And so uh, me and this other guy who had a like passion, we're around people who maybe their parents said, I'm not paying for college, go in the military, and they'll pay for it after you get done. A lot of people who didn't want to be there. There's grown guys who played football in high school, all tough, but when they got put in halfway push-up position, had to hold it for 10 minutes, and they're hitting the floor, they start crying and want to go home. And here I was. I, had, I was ready to bite nails off and spit bullets. You know, I was ready to go. And so we would get up at night, and we would push two of the racks, the beds, the bunk beds together, and put broom handles across, and we'd do pull-ups, push-ups, and dips for hours while everybody else slept. And then we found out that if you got in trouble in boot camp, they sent you a thing called intensive training where you got cycled all day, which means you did push-ups, pull-ups, sips, dips, ran. So we figured out if we just got enough trouble every day, we got sent there, we'd stay in shape, and we didn't have to get up at night, we'd sleep, and then we could get in shape. And after a few weeks of getting in trouble just enough to not get kicked out, but to get in trouble enough to get sent to intensive training, our chief pulled us aside and said, what's going on with you guys? You're scoring well in your classes, you're doing everything else right, but you talk in formation, you do just these things, just enough to get sent to IT. We said, because we came here with our mindset and going into one of the diving programs, and we're not getting enough exercise to do it. And this is, now they do this on a normal basis, they split guys off from uh, normal boot camp for this. Apparently others did this, so they finally came up with a solution, but they started sending us half days over with these, what they call dive motivators. They're SEALs, EOD, and rescue swimmers, and Navy divers, and they're there to help prepare guys, and we got to work out with them half days of boot camp for the rest of our boot camp, and we got in shape. And so I found out that, that if you get around people who are apathetic, who are just there to collect a paycheck, or who are just there to sit in a pew, or who are just there to breathe and let life pass them by, it can start to extinguish your passion. And so you got to get around people with like passion that will spur you on. And so passion's important. Passion passion uh, gets threat if people that are apathetic what happens is when you go on a diet and your spouse isn't ready to diet and you start removing those foods from the fridge that are bad for your diet and your spouse isn't ready all of a sudden those apathetic people they get ruffled right i want my cookies right all right honey yeah let's let's go on a diet mm, you know it sounds good chocolate chip cookie dough with some brownies well you get it for yourself no i want it go to the store please I'll pay for it. Go. But we get around apathetic people, and they begin to sometimes, they, get, they, they feel threatened, and so they begin to squash our passion. And see, the Jewish religious system was not a fan of this prevalence of the gospel, so they kicked Paul out of the synagogue for preaching. But how many know when you have passion, you'll find another place? When you have passion and you get pushed out of one place, you'll go to another Nobody can shut you down when you have real passion. If they kick you out of the synagogue, you'll go to the lecture hall. And, and that's exactly what Paul did. He preached powerfully in Ephesus. And it wasn't just an accident he ended up at Ephesus. God strategically placed Paul at Ephesus because there's like 300,000 people there. This was, uh, there was a lot of people who live here, and this is the, the fourth largest city in the world at that time. And it was the home of the seventh wonder of the world. It was the temple of Artemis, daughter of Zeus. This was a hustling and bustling trade city. This was a place to be. Ephesus 
was where people came together with their shipments. It was a port city. It was well, well situated. And it was an important place. It was a trendsetter. It's like, you know, New York when you have all the fashion people. I can't stand to watch fashion shows or even I would, don't watch them. But I can't even stand to see images from a fashion show. I mean, the way they dress men up sometimes. I mean, come on. So we won't tra- chase that rabbit, but it really irks me. I'm like, good grief. So this, this, per, this place, it's situated importantly. So Paul is passionate, and Ephesus is an important place. So you've got this passionate guy put in this important place. And God says, i got to get the guy with a passion in the right place. I've got to get the guy who actually is not just sitting in the pew waiting for me to, to come do something for him, but he's ready to go out and to change the world for the gospel. And so I've got to get him in the right place. And I'm grateful God found me as a teenager. I remember before I knew I was going to Bible school, before I had a call in my life, what God set me up is I had this 1969 AMC Javelin that, that stunk like fuel all the time, but I thought I was cool and it had these wide tires on the back and it was loud and it got six miles a gallon because my brother built a race car for me to drive as a daily driver. And, and I'm going to school just feeling cool. But I'd turn on the Christian radio station. And as cool as I was trying to be and all the things I had, I just had this pool. I said, boy, I'd just like to sit with those people all day and just talk about the Lord. I just wish that was my job, to sit and talk to people about the Lord all day long. And I began to feel this pool. And, you know, God had a call on my life. And God had to get me as a teenager, and he had to get the guy with passion in the right place. And so, how many know when you have passion, you'll find another place? Nobody can shut you down when you have real passion. If they kick you out of the synagogue, you'll go to the lecture hall, and that's exactly what Paul did. He preached powerfully in Ephesus, and it was, it was not an accident where he was at. So, Ephesus was this place where people come to get their shipments. It was this port city, and God says, i got to get the guy in the right place. And so um, I remember in youth group with Pastor Jim, he started this thing where he'd have an hour of prayer in his office before youth service. Now, how many think you can get 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds to commit to an hour of prayer before youth service when they can just go hang out with friends and play? And I remember feeling compelled that I wasn't some great kid. In fact, sometimes I go in there thinking, well, I can put my head down and take a nap, and he'll think I'm praying, but at least I'll get some rest, right? And I remember those times, but, but God began to build a passion at the time because I get in there and I hear Pastor Jim praying with passion, and it was contagious. God was putting me in the right place. He was beginning to build passion in me for ministry. God saw I had a passion, and now as a parent, I'm always trying to to look and make sure if my kids have a passion, I encourage it. If you're into Rubik's Cube, I want to buy you one so you can figure it out and you can be good at it. If, if you're into reading, take you to the library. Jen takes the kids to the library all the time. They've got a passion for reading. We'll facilitate that. We'll encourage that. Bible quiz, we'll take you to matches. We'll arrange. We'll spend money. We'll spend time. We'll encourage that. Reading your Bibles, I'll buy you a nice one. That way you'll really enjoy reading it because it has all the tools in it that you might use in your age. And then there's those times also if you're into Captain Underpants comics, I'll tolerate it and I'll listen to you reiterate the last Captain Underpants comic and maybe even I'll bend and I'll go sit through the movie, well, sleep through the movie actually what was, on your birthday, your 11th birthday because you like Captain Underpants. What a waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> 
If it wasn't for the kids, if it wasn't for the kids. But I want you to have passion because passion matters. And so no matter what position you're in, passion matters. And if you can't do it with passion in a small place, why in the world would God promote you to a bigger one? And Jen and I talked about that early on in ministry here at New Song, that before we knew we were called to be pastors at New Song, but we were here and we were involved in the church and we both had calls to be missionaries, we believed that that's what God was going to do to send us. And I said, listen, if we're not witnessing to people and people's lives aren't being changed by our lives living for Christ, what makes us think we'll do it in another country? If we aren't doing it, while we're sitting in a pew, if it's not happening around us, what makes us think he'll do it if we go to another church? What, what makes us think he'll do it if we have you know, a different set of circumstances in our lives? You, know, you see, a passion is what's directly connected to lives being changed. Paul didn't start in Ephesus, but he ended up there. He started in Damascus in somewhat of isolation, but in, during that isolation, God started began creating the passion in him that was developing. And then kind of when I think about that, does it make you think of David? Here we're talking about a New Testament example, but it makes me think about an Old Testament example, David. Think about David, little shepherd boy, right? He's out there taking on lions and tigers and bears, oh my, with his bare hands. And, and he's out there literally taking them apart to protect the sheep, his job, little did he know God was preparing for Goliath. You see, we don't often realize that the passion that we have as youth, God wasn't planning for us to let that get extinguished. When we're wearing the, we're wearing the Superman cape, running around with the big Superman badge on us and the baggy, what's supposed to be spandex tied around muscles that's just hanging off of us, but we're running around the yard thinking we're flying. God created that desire in us as children and that's why he talks about childlike faith. He never wanted you to lose passion. He just wanted to take and shape it and direct it in the right way. Send it in the right direction. He never intended for you to lose that childlike passion. David, he, he was passionate. And he was passionate waiting for a place to happen. God just had to get him to the right place. Develop the passion, get it in the right place, and the passion accomplishes everything that's one of the frustrating things is that you can have the right passion in the wrong place you can have more passion than opportunity to express it it's frustrating and i know some of you who come to church here some of you would express yourself more in here but you don't know if it's appropriate or not i have these conversations with people all the time and if you were in my spot as a pastor it would get comical to you because you got one person saying i'm not all for that hand raising and then you got another person saying, what's wrong with everybody not hand-raising? You know, and then you got another person, I'm all for that shouting. Another person, I don't know what's wrong with all people don't shout. But you know, really what it comes down to is some have lost their passion and they don't express it because they don't have it. Others have passion, they don't really know how to express it and they're worried about what's acceptable. And there's some that they got so much passion, it's busting out and they're just waiting for somebody to get out of their way so they can do it. Belinda, which side you on? I don't need to ask. She was saying earlier, I'm sure everybody would be glad when Ken's back from vacation. <laughs> Get somebody else to do this. I think Ken, Ken's got passion too. And, and that's one thing at New Song I appreciate is that those at least in worship, I mean, they go at it with passion.
all these people around me, you know, sometimes you can let other people minimize your passion. Even as a pastor, five minutes before I preach, pastor, I need to talk to you about something that's bothering me. I'm all passionate about my sermon, and we're going to discuss what you don't like about something in the church. Never thought to the fact that I've got to work at keeping my passion as well. And some people downplay your passion at the level of themselves, or other people downplay your passion at their level. And don't ever let another person become the ceiling on your passion. Because here's what I've learned. Those people who want to squash your passion, wait till they get in a difficult situation, and they need your passion to come into their dead situation and bring life. Then they're happy about your passion. I just found out I've got this disease, or I just found out I'm losing my job, or I just found out my spouse is leaving me. But as soon as that happens, I want your passion. But just keep it over there when everything's going good for me because I don't need it then. And so you got these people. Don't let them bring your passion down. And I'd rather change people than lose passion. I'd rather pray it through and wait years or decades to see a heart change and then get passion for the Lord than to change mine. I'd rather get some new friends who want to serve God and want to love God, and I'd rather move in a different seat in a worship service than stay in my seat when the power of God hit me and I can't feel like I can move my hands because everybody's wanting to hold them down. In fact, if you're sitting in a seat sometime and no one around you looks excited, you move to a new seat because I need some room to praise God. Come on, anybody got passion? Because see, when you got passion and you get around compassionate, uh, we get around complacent people, people who have a different personality, you feel funny. When, when you've gone to a ball games with people from, from church and it's their kid's game, right? And you get out there and the ump makes a bad call and you got your fellow church goer going, come on ump, you need my glasses to see where, where the ball is? Come on ump, who's paying you out there? The other team? You know? They got passion because their kid's playing, right? It's my kid. And then then they go to the all-time low of starting to heckle the 11- and 12-year-old kids on the other team. Not today, Junior. You better get your parents to pay for some more lessons. Right? I'm like, hey, those folks may come to our church one day if you'd stop. I appreciate your passion, but it's in the wrong place. I may be these people's pastor one day, so shut up. <laughs> you know, you get like that. So touch someone on the shoulder and say, keep your passion in its place. Keep your passion in its place. Now listen, in first service we have a little bit of mixed crowd, so I'll, I'll tame this one down. But it's like in the marriage, you know? Certain things that we refer to as passion have a place to stay, right? They have a place to be. There's, there's private places in our houses that are for those places. And it's a place to operate, like, like a fire. You know, when we build a fire at my, my house, we don't have a fire pit. We have rocks around the ground, you know, and we put the wood in the middle, and the rocks are to contain the fire. And, you know, if I'm to come up here and, uh, I don't think this one smells. Some people, uh, it, it does bother some noses. But if I'm to come up here and light this candle, I can come around and hand it to whoever and see Jen accepted that really quickly, but she's my wife. She, she trusts me, and 
Belinda has worked with me a little bit now in ministry, and she used to teach me uh, how to play trumpet. And Miriam, you, you've known me for a little bit. We prayed together. You prayed for your pastor, and praise God for that. And, and Robert and Wendy, you guys have put in work here at the church and have helped us, and you, you handle that just fine, right? You know, Kathy and Johnny, you all have both helped us with a lot, and we've been through things together. And so, you know, you all handle, handle that just fine. And, and Janessa, Janessa helps us with kids. I could just walk around, right? My dad, um, he may hold it and keep it from me because he tells me at age 40 I can't use a chainsaw. I might cut my head off, you know. <laughs> Aura, you know, Aura's helped me. Mark and Joe, good to see you all. And, you know, Mark and Joe have worked hard with us in ministry. And, Andrew, your new daddy, I better take that away. You aren't ready to, you know. And, and I could go through this group over here. But, you know, we, 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 we are okay with this, right? We're okay with, with this because it's God's proper place. It's in this jar. And we, we know that I just lit it. The fire is probably not too hot. But listen, if I started this fire right here and I come start waving it over your hair, that's a different story, isn't it? You know, come on, preacher, you can preach, but leave the fire alone. And, and see, that's the thing, is, is passion has its place. You see, misplaced passion is very different. So there's a lot of peas in this sermon. Tongue twisters. Passion can be de- dangerous if it's not in this right place. And you know what's even more dangerous to let a little league parent passion get around someone with an I may be their pastor one day attitude. What I'm gonna, you know, what I'm gonna say is this: I love my city. We live in a great city in Centerton, and I'm, I'm discovering some of the difficulties living here too, going through this building project. But, but what I'm saying is, sometimes a new person will come into the church, and they're excited, and I see this a new believer. I mean, they're fired up. I mean, they've got the fire going, and everybody's ducking, right? They, they got their, their word of God, and they're going through it, and it's new. I've got a friend named Chris Moore, and uh, Chris, if you listen to this podcast, sometimes he does. Um, he's been on staff now a few churches. When I met him, he'd grown up Catholic. He didn't really have a personal relationship with Christ. And he went to a church, and he didn't trust preachers, only priests. And the first thing the preacher said is, I don't want you to trust me. Read the Word of God for yourself to know what I'm teaching you is right. And it caused attention. He gave his heart to the Lord, and he went on fire. And then him and his pastor began to butt heads because his approach was, I need to meet with you on Monday because we're not getting enough people saved. And all these people sitting in the pews and they're not doing their job. And me, he, he chose to start letting me mentor him and because we started a friendship in the motorcycle community first. And, and I had to start kind of slowing down and say, listen, your pastor probably has passion, but it's in the right place. And, and, and you need to have the passion. And don't lose that passion, Chris. But, but be careful. You've got to work with him, not against him. You know, don't, don't make him feel like he's not doing enough. You know? And those older folks in the pew, they aren't going to go walk the streets at 80 years old you know, for half a day in 90-degree heat like we did yesterday. So the passion in the right place. But we get these folks that are new, and they got this. But the problem is sometimes they get around some of us other people and we, we, we brush up against them. Hey, you know what? They don't know yet that it's, that it's okay. They don't know that it's not okay to read your Bible through the week. You're just supposed to wait till Sunday. And so that flame's going their week, and they brush up and say, you know what? You don't have to do that. Well, we may not say it, but our actions do, because they're asking us about what we've read in the Word lately, and we're like, uh, well, it's been a while. I can't really remember. And they begin to get disappointed. They realize, hey, wait a minute. I thought the Word of God says we're supposed to be in it all the time, that we're supposed to be loving Him and getting to know Him. and So they get extinguished. 
The people who have that new faith, they don't know that you're not supposed to read your Bibles yet. Uh, and, and if you don't watch it, they're going to bring that passion into your church. They didn't have, when we look at this in Ephesus, what's happening in Ephesus, because when they first start, they didn't have the knowledge, but they had the passion. When Paul met those twelve, when he met those guys who had been baptized, who had come to know the Lord and baptized by John the Baptist, and they spent all this time just hanging out, if you will. So they didn't have all this knowledge. They didn't have a lot of people, but they had passion. They just had 12. They didn't have a lot of people. They're still in the storefront. They're still meeting in the elementary school. They didn't have a lot of people, but they had passion. And so they didn't have the political support of the government. They, they didn't have their 501c3 nonprofit tax exempt status, you know, and they didn't have the separation of church and state, which gets flipped off and used all different ways. They, they had false doctrine coming into the church. In fact, Paul told Timothy one time, he said, hey, I want you now, now 1 Timothy 1, uh, Timothy was a young man. He didn't have much experience. And the Bible gives us reason to believe Timothy had a timid personality. Let's switch from P's to T's. How about that? Because God had to remind him over and over again, hey, God didn't give you the spirit of timidity, Timothy. Timid Timmy, pastor in a big city church, and there's people teaching false doctrine, and there's people trying to deny the gospel of Christ. And, and Timothy in his 20s, Timothy in his 20s, with a timid personality, I can go all day with this, trust me, my, my wife will tell you I love rhyming. But passion, let me tell you something, passion's not a personality type. Hear me out, passion's not a personality type. You see, Tim, Timothy's dealing with some pretty tough stuff. There's people trying to squash his passion. And, and many times I'll hear this, well, Pastor CJ, you know, you talk about that raising the hands, you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you talk about that stuff, and, and you say, you know, we need to be able to cut loose and, and worship, and it's not about the show, it's about what's happening in the heart. And often I suspect that when people are, are rigid and in their, in their zone, like they are in the rest of the time that they're outside the doors, then probably there's some resistance to the Holy Spirit actually getting them out of their comfort zone and causing them to react to the power of God. So you've got timid Timothy. In his 20s, the false teachers coming in, and they're trying to squash it. They're, they're not good with the teaching that is right and true. And, and so he's dealing with this, and, and, God's trying to, and God's trying to get a message through to Timothy. He, he's, he's trying to tell him, this isn't a personality trait, Timothy. This isn't something that, that you just, you know, hey, that's not me. I don't raise my hands. Hey, this isn't me. I don't do this. Hey, this isn't me. Hey, this isn't me. I'm not somebody who can just sit in the pew. And, and you start labeling and putting these roadblocks up to your life with Christ because, you know, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. And so you constantly in your life put roadblocks. And let me take a little rabbit trail for a minute here. I don't have much time to do so, but let me tell you something. I started training my boys in the pool recently. Now, it's been probably 20 years since I've really adequately, adequately worked in the pool, as in I'm trying to work and accomplish not just exercise, but training. So it's a different mindset than just getting in and doing laps. And I start trying to teach them different kind of combat swims. And all of a sudden, I realize all the time that I spend away from my kids when they're with Jen and they're not getting their dad's point of view on things, now I see things that, you know, our wives see things differently than we do. And they react. And I tell them, so this is not a negative towards your mom. It is just a difference. But you're becoming young men. And the way your mom approaches things, God has made her approach them that way, but you aren't to approach them the same way. And they would run into things where they'd say, um, well, I can't do this. 
And I said, well, you're going to come to a point where you're going to want to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You've got to do this. Because if you always come up against something difficult and you stop there and say, I can't do this, you'll be sitting with a whole crowd of people that are saying the same that you can. But if you'll take and you'll go after what's impossible and then God helps you accomplish that, when you step up on that, you're at the next level. The next impossible is greater, but when you hit that, you step up at the next level. And when you hit that, you step at the next level. And pretty soon you look around, you're around elite few people who have trusted God in their lives and let him grow them to amazing uh, feats and, and next thing you know, you're like, those are good people to have around because they will spur you on to be more excellent all the time. I said, or you can sit by the pool with all the other naysayers and say, I can't do this. Boys, forgive me, but that was a good lesson that day. See, passion is not a personality type, and it's not how high you jump. Passion is how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. Passion is at how hard you go at what God's put before you. Put this down. If you are passionate, you take notes in church, right? So everybody that's not taking notes is like, oh, great, talking about me. Don't worry, I don't think I saw many people taking notes. But if you're passionate about a sermon, you aren't playing on your phone on Facebook making it look like you're looking at your Bible app, right? If you're passionate about God's Word, even if you don't think the pastor is that great at it, you still won't go out and find a place to talk to somebody and do something else other than hearing God's Word. You won't try to find distractions or easy ways out. You'll stay in there and get God's word, right? Okay, rabbit trail done. The proof of passion is perseverance. The proof of passion is perseverance. I'll prove it to you in the scripture. I'll prove it to you from 1 Timothy 1.3. Paul says, I urge you before when I was on my way to Macedonia, and I'll tell you again, remain in Ephesus. Now watch this. You don't have to tell somebody to do something they already want to do. You don't have to tell somebody to go to vacation in Tahiti, all expensive paid. If they want to go, they'll go, right? You don't have to tell people to do things that they already want to do. So Paul's having to tell him, he's having to be told, Timothy's having to say, remain in Ephesus. I remember a story my dad told me about pastoring when, when he had some false doctrine pretty heavy in the whole state he was in. And, and even in some of the leadership in that state, and the Son of God was pushing that because there's a family member pushing it. And he was standing against that. And he had people, you know, basically, I'm going to run you out of here. And, that, and he got a call from someone at headquarters. And he said, Pastor Brummett, I don't know if you know who I am. Am I getting this right, Dad? And, and it, was a, it was somebody well known. And he said, I know who you are. He said, well, I know where you're at. And I know what you're dealing with. Hold, hold fast. Don't leave. We can't do much for you just this moment, but hold fast. Don't leave. And you know what? If I remember right, that's when the church went through a split, right? Church went through a split, looked all horrible, right? Oh, the devil's winning, the church is split. But guess what? Those people are going after that doctrine, and basically, but that doctrine was one you hear me harp on, the positive confession. God's your genie in a bottle, and you just tell him, I'm supposed to have a Cadillac, and whether you can pay for it or not, you get it. And when they all went broke, right, because that doctrine was false and it didn't work, they sheepishly came calling back to the church. Don't want to mention it, right, because we messed up. But guess what? The church began to grow and thrive, and revival came. So, so here's the thing. The proof of passion is in perseverance. Paul says, I urge you before when I was on my way to Macedonia, and I'll tell you again, remain in Ephesus. Remain in Ephesus. Now, I've never had a buffet restaurant owner come to me and say, stay at the buffet. I've never had to be convinced to stay there. In fact, when I leave, my fun thing to do is walk out the door and go, I win. 
Because, you know, they price those things that everybody, they're going to win, right? They've got to make a profit. And I just feel sometimes, this is wrong thinking, by the way, but I feel good. I beat you. I win. I eat more than you anticipated. But I also have had a Navy special warfare instructor tell me to do 20 more push-ups when I was vomiting and felt like my body was dying. And I thought that that was going to be it. And he was going to push me in my death. And I found out I could do 30 more. You don't have to urge someone to do something they already want to do. So there must have been something to tell Timothy. It must have been something to tell Timothy. You're young. You're inexperienced. Your, your false doctrine is circling around the church. Timothy, you, you must not be feeling it anymore. Timothy's fire uh, might have been going out. So Paul said, I want you to remain and there in Ephesus. And I want you to do the hard stuff and persevere and persevere and stick it out. And, and come here, you, you might come back to a family who might not even appreciate you. You might come show up at a job that might not even recognize your value and preach in a place where you're persecuted. And the proof of your passion is in perseverance. And I don't know if, if I was really passionate when I was preaching in my early 20s and I was preaching about Pew CEO, but I was excited. And there's a difference. Interest and excitement is not passion. Come on. Knowledge is not passion. Passion is something different. You know, when you watch a movie that you shouldn't be, and there's a man or woman who just met, and they're at home doing things they shouldn't do, they just met, that's not passion. That's attraction. One's from the heart, one's from hormones. That's not passion. Passion, passion is watching a wife at the nursing home have to undress her husband to change his clothes because he can't do it for himself. Passion's watching that person care for someone in their hour of need and doing it even when it's not fun, even when it's not pleasant, even when you feel bad for them because you know that they have dignity and you feel bad that this is probably crushing their dignity, but that's passion. But you see, we have diluted and convoluted passion in our culture and in our church is the point that we say, if I don't feel it, I don't do it. And that's not passion. If I don't feel it, if I don't feel like it, I don't do it. That's not passion. I'll do it if I get praised by the pastor. I'll do it if I don't. I'll do it if the church people help me. I'll do it if they don't. I'll do it if I like it. I'll do it if I don't. Now, Lynn Blankenship, we joke about this now, but I've told the story. She'd go set up 30 chairs in that school, and that auditorium, that, that cafeteria would have held 500 chairs, and they were over to the side, and, I, and we'd have 20 people. And, you know, so there's uh, some extras. And I go out next time, and I put 50 chairs. And she'd come out and start putting back. And I'd say, Lynn, I'm believing for more people. And she'd say, but it's going to make it look empty, and it's discouraging. I said, but I'm believing for more people. And Pastor Jim said, let him put up the chairs. You know, and God started filling those chairs. There's a point where we run over 100 people in that school auditorium. We've got passion, and that's putting passion in the right place. And God's desire is for us to have one passion, and that's for Him, and to spend eternity in heaven with Him. But how does He want us to spend the time, and how does He want us to have passion before that? It's because He's given you a purpose in your life. He's got a plan for your life that He knew the ending before it even began. Robert, He knew before you even began, before He even started work on you, He knew the end of mine. And you know, he, he knows what you need before you need it. So the provision, he already knows that. He knows what you need before you need it. 
Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. Who could be clothed any more beautiful than that? Right? They don't worry about what they'll eat or what they wear. God takes care of it. He's the author and finisher of faith. But, but Lord, I'm not the best Christian. And I don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to tell people about you. He'll give you the words because the Holy Spirit can light you up just like he did those 12 who had just received a baptism, water baptism, and had gone all that time without knowing the power of spreading the gospel. He'll put the period at your end of your sentence. And it's always about you. It's always about his people. That's the whole point of us being here. It's not about me preaching. It's not about us getting offerings and building a new church. It's about people's lives who are crushed and broken and who need healing and need spiritual guidance. It's that. It's lives restored, brought into right relationship with God. And then there's a place he's taken us. We've been praising the Lord, facing our land for six years now. He's got a place for us. But the question is, have you lost your passion? Now here, as we wrap up the next few minutes, I want to I talk pretty straight to you about a few things. Some of you may not have reference point for this, so forgive me. You may have to catch up on what I'm saying. Some of you have grown up in church, whatever. Hear me out, all right? The reason I harp about whether we're having people buried at these altars, just coming up, just burying their face in the altars and calling out to God, the reason I harp about that is not because I'm trying to produce it in you as a, as a fake reaction to something or, or you know, the reason I pour over sermons and I stress about how good I'm doing is because I know that the Lord's word is good. I know that the Lord's word will change your life, but I know I'm the one he's asked to deliver it. And so I realize I'm human and I'm fallible and I'm like, Lord, don't let me stand in the way because these people need to be crawling out to God because we've got a city, at the very least, we've got a city that is lost and dying, if not in in their own home they've got family members or if not they got people who are sick and dying and who need a miracle or if not they've got this or they've got that every one of us remember what i said last time every one of us are messed up every one of us are even your pastor now listen if you're the pastor and everybody's talking to you about their problems you realize hey i'm in good company because everyone in here is as messed up as i am and that's why we need the lord we need the power of god to change our lives we need to quit playing church and worrying about just getting through the services to get on to the next one or get onto our lives and realize that your life is so short, it'll be extinguished before you know it. Your earthly life here is so short, it'll be extinguished before you know it. Sometimes sooner than we expect. And listen, you can't play games with God. God is not mocked. He's taken account of everything that's going on in our lives. And listen, I'm talking to myself. That, that even last night as I was tired, I said, I need to work a little more on my sermon. I told Jen, I was like, I'm just going to bed. God will have to give it to me in my sleep the rest because I'm, I'm tired and I overslept I'm supposed to get up at 4 30 this morning I woke up at 6 oh lord right but even in even in my weakness even in my my failed attempt to be well prepared God says I still have a purpose for you and I don't want you to lose your passion what's wrong with you CJ why why aren't you leaving the pulpit on Sunday and almost running back to your office to get started on next sermon why aren't you why aren't you why are you complaining about how things went wrong this week with the building project in the city? Why aren't you just saying, Well, I know how I've accomplished great things before in my life. It's on my knees at this altar. Some of us that don't have a reference point, we've never been had our face buried in an altar crying out to God, just letting everything pour out. We don't know. Let me tell you something. There's a different level. I'm not saying that we have levels of serving God. I'm just saying in your heart, in your passion, there's definitely a different level to accomplish if you've never experienced that in relation with God. He will move you to do things you never thought as a sensible, respectable person that you'd ever do. 
I've been laid out in the middle of an aisle before. Just calling out to God saying, God, please rescue me from my own heart. That's the passion. I do it not because I feel good doing it. I do it not because I feel like it. I do it because of what he did for me on the cross. And he first came with a passion, the passion of Christ. He came with an ultimate passion to show us this is how you serve me, with this intensity, with this kind of sacrifice. He said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he literally prayed so hard that he bled through his pores. He bled blood because of the intensity. And he said, I don't want this, Father. I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, but yours be done. And that's passion. Let's bow our heads. Glenda, if you ladies would come. Jesus, I come to you right now, Lord. Lord, in my time of weakness, I come to you, Lord, because, Lord, I cannot, in my own power, change any minds or hearts here, Lord. But your word and your spirit can. And, Lord, we, we need a breakthrough in our lives, God. It's not just this church, Lord. The, the culture of the church, you know it as well as, as, as anyone would, God, because you see all things, you know all things. But God, I just sense in my spirit that the church culture, we have come to a place where we may be getting complacent. We're losing our passion. We're not that little kid anymore running around in the Superman suit just re- thinking, I'm going to fly one day. I'm going to fly. We've given up and said, you know what? I'm going to sit in this pew for the rest of my life. And when Jesus comes, then I'll praise him. Then I'll get undignified. Then, like David said, I I will get more undignified than this. That's when we'll get crazy about God is when we're standing in heaven. No, it's just like Jen and I, when Lord, when we said, hey, if we're not leading people to the Lord now, what makes us think we'll do it in another country successfully if we're not letting you do it through us now? We need to get undignified. We need to realize that we're not the one who created us. You are. And whatever you want us to be is is the perfect plan, not ours. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to ask a very pointed, very sincere, but yet very compassionate question. Have you lost your passion? Or have you never found it? Listen, these altars are always open, and so I'm not going to prod you, I'm not going to prompt you, but if you feel like you need to react in some way to the moving of the Holy Spirit on you right now, I'm going to challenge you, do it. Don't wait till I say anything. Just do it. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads, you do it. If there's anyone here today, you say, you know what? Uh, this continually, the Word of God is continually uh, poking at my heart. And, and I haven't ever totally made a decision to follow Christ. I've never really... Maybe I thought I did, but I, I realize now I never was passionate about it. I just said it because I didn't want to go to hell, but I just realize that there's more to it than just avoiding hell. There's, there's a God who loves me. Has anybody told you God loves you? God loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to commune with you daily. He wants to spot, speak to you. He wants to be in those times of need and be able to whisper in your ear and say, I've got this. If that's you and you want to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you. rest of us, this is where I leave it. You have a challenge before you from Revelations 2. What are you going to do 
this doesn't end here. This goes out these doors with you. Your challenge will follow you the rest of your life. Are you going to be satisfied losing your passion, never experiencing it? Or are you going to let God give you the passion so he can move you into the right place? When we get in that new building, it's not just going to fill up with people just because we have more seats. Some people think that they told me that. That's not true. And it's not about just filling those seats, but lives are not going to be in there's not going to be an increase in changed lives unless this church regains its passion. Just like when we didn't have anything. Some of you weren't there, but just like when we didn't have anything, we just so enjoyed each other's company and talk about the Lord and seeing work that we just came together. We just did it. The pastor didn't have to tell us. We started planning things, and we tell the pastor, by the way, we're getting together at somebody's house. By the way, we're doing this. By the way, we're just, we're just congregating. Why don't you come, pastor? We want to you to be in this too. See, you don't have to be told to do anything you already want to do. Where is your passion? Jesus, we thank you as this word goes with us, buries in our hearts, and begins to change our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. God bless you. Don't forget that there is a uh, picnic after second service. Usually by the time it really fires off, it's one o'clock at the, at the park over here in Centerton. We'd love you all to be here for that. Love you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.